Marijuana smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. The first legally sold marijuana here goes to an Iraqi war veteran. A new insurance study out this week looked at car crashes in several states that allow the use of recreational marijuana. You're a doc. Before. You've studied this. You've talked to the researchers. You're right. saying marijuana can kill cancer cells. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Marijuana is illegal under federal law. States have legalized recreation. It's no wonder you can't open your eyes. What do you expect doping yourself up with this wrong stuff? What do you know about pot? All right, good morning. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is the Cannabis Hour. I'm your host, Jen Procacci, and thank you for tuning in and joining me today. The Cannabis Hour is a bi-weekly radio program where we discuss all things cannabis. So first of all, happy Croptober to you all. I hope everyone is harvesting away as merrily as possible with this beautiful weather that we are currently having. So for today's episode of the Cannabis Hour, I will be playing a recording of a panel from the Emerald Cup from 2018. It is entitled Cannabis Spirituality, Practice, Beliefs, and Laws. The inspiration for today's show came from a feeling of heaviness that has been weighing our cannabis community down lately um, with a downturn in the market and many other challenges affecting all growers, licensed and traditional, and everyone adjacent to the cannabis community as well. I thought it was important to return to one of the fundamentals of our community with cannabis, which is spirituality. Spirituality has always been a part of the culture of cannabis, but what does that entail? So on today's panel, spiritual leaders from our cannabis community weigh in. A few of these speakers are local community members, such as Nikki Lestretto, Swami Shatanya, Omar Figueroa, and there's also Mickey Morris and a few other panelists that will announce themselves as they appear. So this was from the 2018 Emerald Cup, so keep that in mind if you hear them referencing events or dates that it did take place several years ago. But it is a great talk where we delve into the spirituality that is attached to cannabis, and I think that's so important for us to check in with during this time in our community that is quite trying. I have one important announcement to make before we get started with that panel, which is that the application window is currently open for the 2022 Small Farms Initiative coming back for the Harvest Ball 2022, which is going to take place December 10th and 11th in Santa Rosa. So the Small Farms Initiative is going to award 10 farms their own complimentary 10 by 10 booth space with selling ability for six SKUs. And an additional eight farms will be awarded uh, steeply discounted booths. These will be in the Craft Cannabis Marketplace at the Harvest Ball. And there will also be an additional 10 complimentary entries into the upcoming Emerald Cup. 
Uh, if you are interested in more information about this, visit theemeraldcup.com. The application window is currently open and closes October 21st at 5 p.m. Winners will be announced October 28th. And this Small Farmers Initiative comes to you courtesy of a collaboration between Tim Blake and the Small Farms Council, which is made up of Michael Katz from Mendocino Cannabis Alliance, Janine Coleman of the Origins Council, Chris Anderson of Redwood Roots Distribution, Nicholas Smilgies of Mendocino Cannabis Distribution, Tracy Pellar of the Mendocino Producers Guild, and Brandy Moulton of Sovereign 707, working collectively with Tim Blake as the Small Farms Council. So again, you can find the application for this at theemeraldcup.com, and it closes on October 21st at 5 p.m. All right, without further ado, allow us to be uplifted by this panel on cannabis spirituality. Thanks, Chris. And thank you all for coming. I, I assume you all are interested in cannabis spirituality. I'd like to know how many of you actually feel like you get a spiritual benefit from cannabis? Yeah. Well, I have, <laughs> I'm not surprised that I used to, well, I have a project called the Cannabis Consumers Campaign. And I asked in my survey how many of you got spiritual hits from it, and a good 50% responded that they do feel that. Well, I was raised in a, a Jewish family with the Jewish religion and cultures and customs. And while I like the, uh, the culture and the, some of the, the customs and some of the holidays, I stopped believing in God when I was about 16, and it left kind of a spiritual hole, I would say, inside of me, that I think that cannabis is helping to fill. And the way I describe my spiritual benefit is that it makes me feel more connected to nature, the universe, it gives me insights, it helps me to bond with people, especially when we're sharing a joint. And at times, I have felt like a channel and that cannabis, or the spirit of cannabis, speaks through me to work, to make me, compel me, to make the world a better place. Mm. I attribute a lot of my advocacy relating to changing unjust marijuana laws and, and ending the drug war to the teachings of the spiritual plant, I mean, to the cannabis plant. Basically, she has said to me, save me, and prohibition, and I will do all these great things for the planet. Provide medicine, food, shelter, clothes, paper. Give you, it gives me a sense of wonder. It gives everybody a sense of wonder. Fun, creativity, it, it enhances your senses. It makes us more empathetic. It's a kind of mutualism. It's like we help cannabis, cannabis helps us, and back and forth. And I think there is something in the spirit of cannabis that definitely compels me to work for social justice and the environment. In fact, in 1998, Senator Orrin Hatch recognized that aspect of cannabis when he wrote the foreword in an anti-marijuana pamphlet called How Parents Can Help Children Live Marijuana-Free. And he stated it, the guide states that excessive preoccupation with social causes, race relations, environmental issues, 
indicates someone smokes pot. So watch out for your kids if they all of a sudden care about the social justice and the environment. But he said it like it was a bad thing, but we all know that I think that's a, one of the great things about cannabis. And cannabis has given me a sense of meaning in my life and purpose. And how many feel, how many can relate to those things that I've said so far? Okay, very good. Yeah, and uh, so I read this book, because I was, got very interested in this subject, Cannabis and Spirituality by Stephen Gray, edited by him. It's a whole bunch of essays in here, and he has a lot of great things to say. So I'd like to share you, with you what I've learned from his book. Um, but first of all, what is, what does spirituality even mean? And Stephen Gray says, I use the word spiritual as a convenient catch-all for discussions associated with that journey towards ultimate truth, enlightenment, awakened heart, God-realization, or whatever other language we can use to attempt to describe the indescribable. I, I like that one. And then Leonard uh, Barrett, who wrote the Rastafarian, said, the herb is the key to new understanding of the self, the universe, and God. It is the vehicle to cosmic consciousness. It introduces one to levels of reality not normally or ordinarily perceived, and it develops a certain sense of fusion with all living things. I like what uh, Catherine, Kathleen Harrison, who's an ethnobotanist and part of the Terence McKenna a group of botanical dimensions. She said, a plant species may have chosen the human species as its partner in survival, mm. migration, and reproduction. Mm. Or humans may have selected the plant species based on one or more of its special qualities. Either way, we can explore the mutual utility of a long cooperative relationship. And to take this one step further, many people believe that cannabis <gasps> makes them better people. I feel like cannabis has made me a better person. I've heard people say cannabis makes them better parents, more patient, more empathetic, more, more calm with their kids. And many of us feel like we are on a mission with cannabis as, it, as cannabis has chosen us to do this work like a calling. How many people feel that? It's made put you on a mission, yeah. Like we don't have, I feel like I didn't, didn't have a choice. After I learned all this about what cannabis does and everything, I didn't feel like I had a choice anymore. I had to work for cannabis to save cannabis, to save Santa Maria, because we believe she is here for good. And um, then Kathleen Harrison again went on to say, these are great teachers embodied as plants here to show us something, and some are here to help take care of us. They also want to help us take care of them and the big picture and everyone in it. Next, I'd like to, to, uh, to share with what Jeremy Wolf, uh, a writer and artist, wrote. Cannabis is our oldest friend and teacher, our ally on this earth, our endocannabinoid system, a body-wide network of cannabis-like molecules that promotes homeostasis at every level of biological life. 
Pac gave us the basic tools to be human, the ideas as well as the materials. Pac facilitates the re-enchantment of nature, giving dimension to the flat, mundane, and habitual. I like what Joan Bellow, a writer, author of Benefits of Marijuana, has said, medicinal, recreational, and sacramental use of cannabis are actually identical. To be healthy is to be happy, is to be holy. And some people have paid a high price for their religious beliefs, like Roger Christie of the THC ministry. And Roger wrote in the book, some religions even consider using cannabis to be witchcraft, punishable by death. For many who've dared to try it, however, it quickly becomes our trusted plant friend, and we develop a special, sacred relationship with it, no matter what the penalty for doing so. And he describes sacraments, because I was wondering what really is a sacrament, and he describes it as the visible form of an invisible grace, health and happiness, a feeling of knowing and being connected with nature, God, or the great you name it, to name a few. And he believes, as I do, that we can become better people with, sac with respectful sacramental use of cannabis, more open-minded, more loving, peaceful, and thoughtful. So, and one of the most important points that he likes to point out in his ministry is that life in general is sincerity. Sincerity is a quality of character that's genuine and true. So Stephen Gray ends this as, seen in a certain light, there's no real distinction between spirituality and, and creativity, like it's a muse, basically. And uh, so the sacramental use uh, sacramental medicines are here to help us expand our consciousness and connect, 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 connect on many levels. And we think it's, uh, we've got involved in this whole thing because we, we think it's important to counteract, especially at this point, the com commercialism of the industry with remembering why we like cannabis in the first place, to honor her with high honor and to recognize the spiritual practice is part of our culture. Now, and we also believe in living the creed. So last weekend, we had a holiday cannabis giveaway on the steps of the courthouse of Contra Costa County. We gave away lots of cannabis uh, to people, any adult 21 and older, just for the spirit, because that one of our creed, and I hope you get one of these postcards before you leave, and we're going to share this as well, the reading of it in the sacramental ceremony, which is that cannabis hemp is an intuitive sacrament we use to connect with ourselves and our community. Therefore, we share cannabis in thanksgiving and deep respect for her resinous effect. So I'm, I'm almost done. I, okay. I think I'm probably almost out of time. <laughs> so I'd like to give a, a shout out to the other churches around here. We, this is not a church, what we developed with Kanamaste, but it's a practice that we're exploring and trying to develop rituals in order to have ultimately a religious use defense we're hoping for. So there's the THC Ministry, the International Church of Cannabis in Denver, 
the Jesus and Jane Church in, in Soquel, <laughs> Sugarleaf Rastafarian Church, that's just to name a few. But uh, I like what Stephen, Steve Hager, the former High Times editor, said, cannabis has been a constant overseer of human welfare throughout humanity's long journey. The time has come for the pot Illuminati to gather and take our place as stewards of cannabis. We seek to dissolve the oppressive laws against our sacrament. We also seek to harness the power and energy of cannabis for the benefit of the world. The fact that cannabis prohibition may end soon, and Donald Trump has indicated he may sign it, gives new meaning to the word, the devil's weed. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so weird. <laughs> However, I like to think that the spirit and light of cannabis are strong and people are learning more every day about its benefits. So it just may have gotten to the point that its power will win over the politicians. It's won over the public already. No matter the form that legalization takes, I trust cannabis to carry us through. So we honor cannabis with high honor. And I'd like to say, Kanamaste. Namaste. Namaste. Kanamaste. Thank you. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, Mickey. Um, I did, may not have mentioned she's my lovely wife as well. So, uh, uh, but this actually brings up another point. Many of the world's religions have gone through periods of persecution. And I think that one of the things that uh, strikes me at Passover is there's a, a a prayer that comes from the Spanish Inquisition where they say, uh, well, where do you hide your Haggadah and all your things that you need to continue to do your Passover feast? And they say, oh, down in the basement, there's a crack where I tuck my things. I thought, that's where I used to stash my weed. <laughs> so, you know, we've been through the persecution as well here. And another thing that people have been concerned about and that Mickey brought up is a question about now that we are in California, with legalization and commercialization, what does that mean? Is cannabis just becoming a commodity or is there something more to it? And so that's why I bring up uh, Nikki Lestrada here because uh, they actually employ the practices uh, in Swami Select of spirituality along with their commercial license. And so why don't you talk about that a little bit, Nikki? Well, thanks, thanks, Chris, and hello. I'm so happy to be here today, the Emerald Cup. Um, I just want to actually respond. It answers that and something that you were speaking about, which is the whole idea of sharing cannabis. And I just want to let people know, farmers out there, okay, we now are legally told if you're a permitted farmer, you cannot give away any cannabis. Well, just to remember, you can grow your personal plants. And your personal plants, you can share with anybody. Yeah. So don't think that you can't share, okay? And, and in fact, when we later go and do our little ceremony, that's going to be with personally grown cannabis for the record. Okay? I like to, we gotta be so legal now. But actually, I, so I wanna start thinking about how lucky I was to be born in 1955 in San Francisco and to, at 14 years old, be introduced to cannabis by the guys with the garage band down the street. And what that meant to my life and how I, even though I may not have been conscious of it at the time, the spiritual shift inside of me was instantaneous. And I know that because I've recently dug up my old journal that I kept when I was a freshman in high school, or what I was, so I just started sophomore year. 
And in there, it's so obvious. It's, you know, one week I was going to mass every day. I was a very good Catholic. And um, I went to Catholic girl school. And I went to mass every day. And then all of a sudden, I started seeing hippies on the street. I was in San Francisco. I couldn't miss it. I was in the midst of it. These people looked so free. They just had this liberating feeling to them. What was going on? What was different about them? And I literally wrote in my journal at one point, should I become a nun or a hippie? <laughs> <laughs> I think I made the right choice. And um, it's, uh, so I really literally had that question. And then I ended up in Jim Harris's basement with the garage band and smoked a joint. And it really, like I say, I immediately bonded with this instant best friend of mine that has been in my life in every way ever since, all those years ago, practically 50 years now. And, and what I realized was I transformed my Catholicness at that moment. So it's not like I lost a, a respect and honor for Jesus at all, not at all. But it's, it, things started shifting inside of me. And I'm, I'm sure so many of you know this feeling when you literally, I mean, all of a sudden I could sit there, be still, not just have teenage thoughts racing through my brain, and let God in. And, and let God into me in a way that it never really experienced it and felt it in that fullness. And that was cannabis that did that. Okay, LSD helped. And I did get to that soon. Um, <laughs> what could I say? Um, I mean, you know, I call cannabis a gateway drug to higher consciousness. And, and it did, because it, it, I did start, according to my journal, start taking LSD very shortly thereafter. And then what happened was being a flower child in San Francisco, right? So I was going to all these rock and roll shows, parties, and having these cosmic experiences. And there wasn't much to guide me. There were older hippies that were wonderful. This is one of them, actually. But um, no one had the knowledge. No one, it was all so fresh to all of us. So flash forward now to about 1996, when I moved back to America from living in India with Swami. He wasn't Swami then. And I came back and I'd been experiencing psychedelic trance music in Goa, in India. And I was finding places of very elevated consciousness on the dance floors. And in India I was smoking hash, I admit it, and that was great. Um, I prefer cannabis flowers from Mendocino. But um, when I have to, uh, I smoke hash, I do. So, uh, but at those parties, I really started getting this connection. And when I came back to America, um, I met that guy with the white hair shining down there, Michael Gosney, and we started putting on these events. And really for me, putting on the events, it was about making the altars. Right, Michael? I mean, I love putting on the parties, it's great. But it was to create these altars and sacred spaces so that when these 20-something-year-olds would be tripping their brains out at 4 in the morning, they would have a place to come and be grounded and feel the energy and feel the spirit and really understand what is happening to them and the power and the beauty of that, to not be caught in a scared place, but to release that fear and really just find the beauty of what they were experiencing. And building those altars was just, I, I, I loved it. I still love it. You know, it's my passion. And... It was building those altars that got me to Mendocino County eventually. 
because it was because of putting on those parties that we just kept getting bigger and the statues kept getting build it bigger. I had this icon addiction. I admitted it was very hard. And um, I kept going to India and buying statues. And it ended up that they ended up being like one ton stone statues. And I was living on Telegraph Hill in San Francisco and you know, what was I gonna do? So I met Tim Blake through Michael Gosney and Tim said the statues could stay there. And that's what got me to Mendocino, putting on parties, creating statues for those parties and altars for those parties. And that led to my appreciation even more of cannabis that I had been working with nonstop this whole time. I'd been a dealer, you know, of course. I lived in the city and, and I did that. But then to come to Mendocino and suddenly now experience the growing of this plant and seeing her growing and what it took and trimming. I didn't even know what trimming meant before that. You know, and just experiencing all these things. So now, 20 years later, almost it is, I believe, that Swami and I have our own ranch. We've had it for years. And it's through all of these experiences of incorporating the spirit that we've gathered from these sacred substances that when we grow this plant now, we are able to put that energy into it while she's growing. And being the most psychic plant in the world, there's no question, she picks that up from us and she feels the power and the love that we're putting into her. And then we feel that go right back out to the person that enjoys it in the end. And that, that has to go all the way through the process. So that when we're, when we're starting the seeds, Swami will tell you some about that. I've always been more about the harvesting and the curing. So when you're doing that, doing it with intention, doing it with a trimming table, if you're doing this at home, or if you're even doing it in a processing lab now or whatever, Make sure that you've got people that are really putting that energy into it with every little snip as they trim, that they're talking about good things at that table. Because I tell you, as a cannabis judge, I can tell when it's been manhandled. I can tell when the vibe's not right. It comes through. Mm. So this is the spirituality of cannabis to me. She's my sister. She's my friend. She's my teacher. And I thank her. All right. Thank you. <laughs> And the, so this whole idea that not only does a cannabis plant give us spirituality, but our own intent and attitude brings spirituality back into the plant uh, and infuses it with a higher consciousness is something that I think a lot of us play with uh, in our, our consciousness. And let me just bring this right away to, to Swami here, spent years in India uh, learning about Hinduism and how, how it applies to his new career uh, as Swami Select. <laughs> Well, thank you everyone for being here, and uh, once again, it's a joy to be at the Emerald Cup. And uh, one of the themes of this cup for everything is raising the consciousness beyond the commercial, beyond the, even the physical, to a higher level that the cannabis brings to us all. Um, and just starting the most specific, the way we lay out our garden uh, in, uh, in, up in Mendocino is in the form of a Sri Yantra, which is, you may know, interlocking triangles. And so as the lines crisscross and point, we plant those plants in that place. Uh, and in the process of sprouting the plants, we take the plants and we put them on the lap of the goddess uh, Ganjama and for about a moon cycle, and we say mantras. And this was all downloaded to me uh, once we got to, so that's actually the layout of our garden, the inner triangles, right? And so, uh, uh, this coming year, we're going to put about 108 plants, a sacred number, into there. <laughs> so we start the plants, we sprout the seeds, 
they've been sitting at the lap of the goddess Kanjama. There's a mantra to that. And then uh, when I actually put the seeds mm. in the ground, I put some drops of the sacred mm. water from the Ganges River. And once again, I say the mantra. And so this is the process. Uh, we all talk about putting the intention onto what you're doing. And the idea is that this is a, a healing energy on a spiritual as well as a physical level. And uh, for me, I, I don't really like to use uh, the, uh, the word recreational so much. Of course, that's all the fun. But I also, also use the word inspirational use of cannabis. And for all of us old hippies, that's really why we started it to begin with, whether you wanted to be inspired to make a great dinner for everybody or you know, do an embroidery quilt or whatever it was. It was the inspiration that cannabis brought us. And of course, the middle of inspiration is spirit. Uh, so we do that with our product, with our cannabis flowers. They're laid out that way. And just about every day I walk through and I chant the mantra. And uh, then at harvest time, the very first flower is taken and put on the lap of the goddess of Ganjama. And uh, <clears throat> so we try and carry on that basic intention all the way through the use of the plant. And uh, it seems like that uh, the plant somehow already kind of knows about this relation. We have it inside us with endocannabinoids. And humans have been cultivating and interacting with this plant, we know from archaeology, at least 10,000, if not 15,000 years. So we have an, an evolutionary, an ethnobotanical evolutionary process we've had with this plant. And we're carrying that forward now on a really high level of genetic uh, change and, and crossbreeding and also all the science about breaking down the parts of it. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, the, the daily action of the cannabis is also inspired by mantra. There are many mantras that are used by Babas and holy men in India uh, that are primarily uh, mantras of uh, Lord Shiva. And uh, all of those mantras are used as an invocation before you take the first puff. And as you pass, you make a ceremonial passage. And uh, you normally pass to, to the right, and you only use your right hand. Uh, sometimes you pass with the left, but that's a special declaration of the Shakti energy. The various ritualized uses of cannabis. And uh, that kind of brings me to, uh, I've always been a historian. I really want to talk a little bit about the, the history of the spiritual use of cannabis. And uh, the oldest uh, spiritual discourses or, or texts that we have uh, still extant are, are the Vedas of India. And the primary one of that is the Rig Veda. And the Rig Veda has all of these poems and encomiums and praises of something called Soma, S-O-M-A. And people for many, many years have wondered what is Soma, what was it made out of, and so on. But the poems in, in uh, hundreds of pages to Soma, it's related to the moon, but it's also related to uh, an elixir which people drink and they get high. And this is done ritually, it's done by all the gods and goddesses, it's shared. And so the ritual then actually traces back to one of the original creation myths of all of Hinduism called the Churney of the Milky Ocean. And this is a long story, I won't go into it, but one of the things when they, when they pulled out the elixir of immortality from the churning of the Milky Ocean, they also pulled out two cannabis seeds one male and one female, they landed in the northern Himalayas and they sprouted, and out of this mythic event, cannabis was given as uh, a benefit to humanity by the combined effort of the gods and the demons to create 
uh, the elixir of immortality. And one of the products of that were the two seeds of cannabis, which are part of our own uh, rejuvenation process that we can use. <clears throat> so these ancient texts describe the, the actual cannabis plant. It's red, it's green, it's yellow, it's purple, it's shimmering with branches and so on. And it's actually very clear that uh, <clears throat> this, in fact, was an ancient uh, use of cannabis as the base ingredient of, of soma as a cannabis smoothie, which they would have added maybe other, maybe mushrooms, maybe opioids, maybe henbane, maybe ephedra, various other things, but the base was, was the cannabis. This is something that if you want to read about, uh, Chris uh, Bennett uh, from up in Canada has been written a great deal about this. It's very inspirational. Uh, cannabis and the soma solution is one. Uh, he's just come out with a new one about the use of cannabis all through the ages with alchemy and the development of, of medicine through alchemy and how cannabis was uh, basically maybe even related to the philosopher's stone, things like this. All this is like a, a revelation of pulling the veil back from ancient history which has been hidden from us for all these years because of the prohibition of cannabis. And that's a curious thing about when, when you mentioned about the, the hiding the, the, the religious articles there. And I'm thinking about the persecution of all of us in cannabis. The, the, the Huguenots were persecuted in Europe. And uh, the various other Protestants were persecuted there. And all around the world, people have been persecuted for their, their spiritual beliefs and their practices. And uh, we're, we're no different from all of that. And, and the ultimate goodness of something that is derived from nature and from the, from the loving activity of a farmer uh, and the whole family putting their hands in the earth, saying their blessings, and, and harvesting according to the moon, and putting your cannabis into a cosmic cycle, and putting it into a healing consciousness raising cycle as an intention, that has been going on for thousands of years. And we are just the very heritage of that. And that's one of the reasons we want to try and grow strictly in that old school way that has been done to create the purest medicine from the whole plant. And that's the way people have been doing it for centuries. And we want to protect the people in Afghanistan who are doing it that way, and Lebanon, and Morocco, and all of those places, India, Nepal, where, Thailand, where they've been growing cannabis traditionally, Jamaica, Mexico, Colombia, all these places. We need to protect them as well, at that they have their traditional techniques, they have their land strains. And this is then, on a very practical level, a universal consciousness that we create. And so that, to me, cannabis is very easy at opening our third eye, the sixth chakra. We still know we have to go a little above that, right? But that's one of the things about the ritual of passing the joint, right? We share a consciousness and we share, a uh, realize that we are now into a higher consciousness, that we've joined together and we can only get to that place by joining together our consciousness. So I see signals flying back and forth and uh, time and so on. So. Uh, I think that what we have to remember is that that ritual of passing the joint is our sharing of consciousness, and that is what's going to keep us together and keep the spiritual foundation of cannabis at the forefront through this transition and this way that, the, that the, what we're calling the commercialization of big people. I think that we can infect their culture. Right? We are the way through consciousness, through subtlety, and they're all saying, what is this stuff that's so magic? And we share it with them, right? 
But there's another aspect too, and uh, there are other workshops, I'll just mention this, the regenerative agricultural movement is a way to make the soil alive and you as a farmer alive with the soil, and therefore you're now in this process, which is an entire living process, and you're part of the, the cosmic orientation. And so that's the way cannabis is teaching us on all these levels simultaneously. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And thank you, Swami. Um, I'm doing the last presentation, and so I have a slideshow that's uh, eventually going to pop up there. Uh, I do want to say that, uh, Roger, uh, I think there's only one microphone, so if you could kind of situate yourself over there for when we're finished. Um, yeah, I, I'm talking about cannabis as a reconnection because of what Swami was just saying about the long-time history of the whole thing. Uh, but before I get into my talk, I just want to let you know, at 4 o'clock, we're going to go over this way to the harvest stage. You can approach it from two different directions. And we're going to be making a circle where people are sharing cannabis. And so if people have some cannabis they would like to uh, contribute into this circle for people to share, we are going to be able to do some uh, grinding and rolling up here. And uh, if you want to contribute, you can bring it up here. You can grind it up yourself. One of the things that we uh, might do is we have some cones We have to here. fill these. Yeah. We got some big joints. Yeah, joint so we have a couple there. of cones here so we can have people fill up. Did you, did you grab our... Um, okay, Thank you. And did you, wow. we've got some of our own garden, too, that we Thank wanted you. to bring into this. And so we're hoping a lot of you guys will join us over there. We don't know how it's going to work with a lot of people. Uh, we might have to do concentric circles, etc. but we're going to have a chance to talk. So let me just go ahead here with the, the Cannabis Connection. Is there a clicker? Is yes. There? Okay, great. Which way is this now? Am I supposed to roll it down? So I think if I said the first, which way do I aim it? You've got, you've got the express. Okay. Uh, the first thing that I want to talk about is what we just talked about, this intertwined connection between humanity and this plant. Uh, it's male and female like we are, but also at the same time, uh, we've got this, it's been... At some point, about 12,000 years ago, we made a transition to become a conscious being that created civilization rather than just another animal on the planet. Uh, that's approximately the same time people started growing cannabis. And whether that's a relationship or a coincidence, I don't know. But we do know that it's been our, uh, in the most ancient crops that's ever cultivated, that it takes care of our basic necessities of food, clothing, shelter, housing, and even medicine. Uh, and there's been essentially human knowledge. For example, the Romans uh, increased the world's knowledge greatly by writing instead of on stone tablets and, and bits of uh, clay and uh, carving it into walls, they wrote on uh, pieces of cloth that they could roll up into scrolls. And so this is how they were to get their knowledge spread around the world. So it's very important for knowledge. And the other thing has to do with the spirituality and the connection to the culture and the fabric of society. And so uh, I think this is connected to our human endocannabinoid system. We've only known about it for 20 years, but it's been uh, it's essential to our body and it maintains a lot of our balance. And, and balance is an important part uh, of our, our connection to uh, everything else that's going on around us here. Of course, we know that on the plant, the THC is THC acid, and we have to activate it. Uh, and so the key to activation is decarboxylation, which is, of course, how you, uh, you, you turn the THC into A into 2-THC, and it connects with your CB1 receptors. And uh, this is the consciousness connection that inside of our bodies, this stuff is going on a long time, that there's the anandamide that brings the endocannabinoids in connection with the phytocannabinoids that come from the plant. 
And so this, all this scientific stuff that we're just learning about nowadays, it turns out that it's not really that new to a lot of people because the ancient world knew about all this stuff for a long time ago. The creation myths of Africa, Shen Nung, the so-called the first mythic emperor of China wrote about hemp for medicine. He wrote about for industry, for the farming community, etc. The Scythians and the Thracians, we had uh, Herodotus writing about them 450 BC. This is not a new thing. Zoroaster wrote how he wrote a cloud of hashish smoke up to the heavens, and that's how he discovered that instead of all these multiple gods that he had learned to worship, that in fact they were all manifestations and there's only one god. The monotheistic religion came from a guy smoking hash. Uh, of course, the Sadhu, uh, we talked about earlier, and they developed the practice of smoking with the chillums, uh, which one of the things that we want to remind people is when you're sharing with people, spiritually or otherwise, that you don't want to catch their cold. And so we recommend that you smoke it like so when you're inhaling so that you're touching your own hand instead of the same uh, part of the plant that every, uh, the joint that everybody else is smoking out of. So, um, and then we also have to point out, and I think Rich Roger is going to mention this, that in the Bible, Genesis, uh, Exodus 30, it talks about using cannabis to make the sacred anointing oil for the, prince, uh, for the priests of Israel. And so even though we act like this is something we've just discovered, in fact, this is a very long, long tradition that goes back far into our roots as the civilization itself. And so what I have done out of this uh, and what we've been doing in the past year is getting together with what we call cantheist or canatheist uh, ceremonies to bring people together. And the idea of the cantheism is that you don't have to believe in God, a God, any particular form of God, anything like that. What you have to believe is that this plant creates a spiritual connection with you whether it's with you and God, whether it's you and nature, whether it's you and humanity, whether it's you and yourself, that somehow this plant has a spiritual connection that it brings to you. And so uh, you can do it by yourself, but more so we like to do it with sharing, people in circles getting together. And even though we share it, it's a mystical experience. Your own intuitive experience with cannabis tells you whether it's a sacrament, whether it's a medicine, whether it's both, whether it's just for fun. Uh, this is something that you can feel within yourself. And that's what the sincere personal belief that was just talked about by Omar earlier, that's that sincere personal belief that gives you a level of defense in the laws. Selling it, not so much. Sharing it with a sincere belief, I think that we've got a much stronger argument that you can do. And so we believe uh, that cannabis is supposed to be shared with each other and that you're supposed to be thankful for that and to honor the plant itself and to respect the plant. Um, certain religious activities have to be mandatory, uh, as Omar told you. And so what we do is they say that it's essential that you have to possess <coughs> cannabis, that you have to consume cannabis with regularity, and you have to be sharing your cannabis with other people. These are the three tenets that of cantheism is that you have to do those things because that's your sacrament. And it's mandatory, so you, it's, you can't not do it. Uh, the other thing, though, is that cannabis has to come from somewhere, and that's also essential. It's essential to our, our religious, to our practice, to oh, our own right. lives, and to our health. And so somebody has to do it. And this is where the people who are chosen know who they are, and they know they have to do it. We can't tell you you have to grow mm -hmm. cannabis, but you know oh, if you're one of those people. And so that is your personal belief and defense. And so uh, I was raised Catholic. And so I know that we have to be protected for our uh, race, color, creed, and national origin. Uh, and so I developed what's called the Cantheist Creed. It's going to be on a card that you all have. And we're going to be using it at the ceremony in a little bit. It's a call and response. 
But let's talk to the final thing I have is about practicing canotheism, that we use the term kanamaste uh, to identify each other. When we hand a joint to someone and you say kanamaste, that means that it's not just a, a fun joint, that this is a joint that says this is a part of my being that I'm sharing with you. It's part of my consciousness. So we use the word kanamaste to do that and to celebrate our festivities. We also come together with a combined sacramental intent as well as an individual intent. And so we gather in a circle, as Swami mentioned, because this is what we've always done. We always gather in circles. You look at all those religions, this is something that's common to all of them, is just standing in a circle or sitting in a circle and sharing the sacrament together. Now, we've developed a few things because we have to have a little more rituals than pot smokers often like to have. Uh, and so one of the things that we did was, uh, because of the Hindu, which is the oldest religious use of cannabis that we have documented continuously, uh, use of the, the right hand for food and consumption and things like that, that we uh, tell people you touch your left hand to your heart because this is recognizing that your inner entity. Uh, and when you share it, you pass it with your right hand. And so this is a way of reminding yourself that you use the right and you pass it to the right. Um, and so this is really just to tie us to the ancient cultures of, of the past that have it. The next thing is that you look each other in the eye because this is a shared experience, but you're also connecting directly with the people with whom you are sharing with their own values about us so much. We pass to the right because of the Hindu tradition, uh, but we like to take a moment after the circle has gone around a couple of times where you, you want to confront your own spirituality. And so we have a period of contemplation that's built into the ceremonies at that point. But then, you know, with cannabis, uh, one of the things that we do is we, uh, we want to, people love to talk about cannabis. And so once we've hit the, after we go through the period of, of quiet contemplation, then we start talking to each other about why are we here? Why is this plant so important to us? What's your own personal religious beliefs that may not be a requirement for cantheism, but maybe that we don't even know about each other as we go around the circle sharing this. So we want to have people talking to each other in certain moments and giving testimonies of their own experience. And then we honor the enhancements because when you smoke cannabis, you enhance your uh, senses. And so we then move on. Sometimes people sing, sometimes they make music, Sometimes we dance. Uh, at the end, we always like to feast. And so we're going to have some oranges. That's as close as a feast as we can manage for this particular event. And then uh, we always like to close <laughs> together. And as we know, it's the resin in the cannabis plant that has a psychotropic and psychoactive effect and the spiritual effect, I believe. And so we like to use the resonation of, of our own bodies. And so the, the Hindu do it with the word om. But uh, if people feel uncomfortable with the word om, you can use ah or ma, the ancient Chinese word. Whatever word it is that you can say that's going to create that vibration and feeling of goodwill within yourselves as we uh, close the circle. And once the circle has been closed, then people are able to do other things. Now, what do the courts say about this? Well, one of the things is we're not really waiting for the courts because religion, you don't wait till they stop persecuting you to start practicing your religion. And so uh, what also the rulings are inconsistent because look, Rastafarians are the only recognized cannabis church, but we just mentioned like 10 different churches that use it and people use it personally. Uh, they say that commercial use is not religious use, but if you look at uh, most of these churches on TV, they're all asking for money. Right? So how are those religions then, if, if commerce is the, that sets it apart? The Supreme Court in the Hawaska case, the UBC church, they said that uh, you, you can't be something that has popular recreational use because that's too uh, risky and it would have diversion, as we heard, of how dangerous that is. But yet my first time of drinking wine was I was seven years old. As a Catholic, it was given to me by a priest. 
Now, there used to be a time when you said the priest gave it to me and everybody thought, wow, that must be good because the priest gave it to you. Eh, nowadays, people don't always feel that way. <laughs> However, uh, the, my point of it is basically, if it's a, alcohol is commonly not only used but abused in society, and giving it to minors is strictly illegal, and yet that was okay because it was a religious sacrament. So their own ruling says that the Catholic Church and none of these churches can give young people wine anymore, but where's the big crackdown? I'm not seeing it. And so I don't think that there is a big crackdown for us. I think there's going to be selective prosecutions and things like that that we're going to hit in the future. But primarily, um, I just wanted to wrap up with the, the idea that we really think that you just have to practice this and find your own spirituality. And so we invite you all to join us at 4 o'clock over at the Harvest Stage. Um, I don't know if I, I'm going to talk a little bit more after the questions, but right now I'm finished with my words, and so I would like to invite Roger Christie to talk. One of the things I would say to everybody is, you might only have to take a minute for your comments, but uh, if you don't have a question, we would still like to hear what you have to say, and if you do have a question, please present it, starting with Roger Christie. Roger, welcome to California. Great. Wow, thank you, everybody. Thank you, panel. Beautiful job. Very meaningful. I'd like to say, Pak Aloha. In Hawaiian, they say, they called cannabis pakalolo, which meant crazy smoke. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. Somebody needs to go back to uh, basics of uh, language sculpting and turn that around to pakaloha, putting the love back into it. Today's marks the 30th day that I'm off of federal prohibition. Pro, uh, excuse me, probation. So, I, and it's, it's such a pleasure. I say that the experience that I went through with starting the ministry back in the year 2000 and running it for 10 very happy years in the heart of downtown Hilo, Hawaii, and attracting tens of thousands of members, actually, from, uh, we counted up about 60 countries total. It was just such a blessing to share my love because I don't have children of my own, so the ministry seemed to be an appropriate way to share my love with, with other people. And I especially love doing that with the people that are wounded and that are eccentric and that are shut-ins and, and are used to hearing no at church and being shunned. And we wanted to welcome them into the THC ministry, and we were very happy to do that. It was just such a great pleasure. I told the people that worked with us that how do we measure that we've done a good job when somebody's come into the ministry? And it was that they left smiling. And it was just <laughs> as simple as that. So our motto was, we use cannabis religiously, and you can too. And it just seems so natural and obvious. And I'm, I'm actually kind of a patriotic person. I, I love the concepts of our country. I really do. I've got issues with our government, of course, like most of us do. But I think it's worthy of, of putting effort and attention into it to polish it up. It's, it's the greatest fixer-upper on planet Earth. And some of the, the original documents, the Declaration, the Constitution, are, are so worthy that, as you well know, people you know, risk their lives to come here and, and make a new life. And, and here it is in California. I think it's the first year I heard that recreational use is allowed even at this event. So what a treat. Well, yes. in my experience yes. of, of, of running the ministry, I found out through Chris Bennett's work that cannabis was, evidence exists that cannabis is an ingredient in the holy anointing oil of Moses and the christening oil of Jesus. Yes. I thought, oh my goodness, if that's true, 
the prohibition must end like, you know, instantly and immediately. But anyway, that wasn't the case. But I did start making the holy anointing oil. And coincidentally, the building that we were renting for the ministry for 10 years is the Moses building in downtown Hilo. <laughs> so that was funny. We we're making the holy oil of Moses in the Moses building and anointing people as much as possible with prayer. Because making the holy anointing oil, as I did last night, and I will have some to share with people afterwards if, if you'd like a prayer and, and anointing. There are the ingredients which are very specific in every single Bible. I don't know how Bible people have missed this. It's in Exodus 30, 23 is a recipe, and it includes specific ingredients and specific proportions. And I don't know what all went into the original making of the anointing oil. Of course, I wasn't there. Um, maybe the holy anointing oil of Moses can only be made by Moses because it's got his particular energy and prayer into it. But I know that I can copy it to the best of my ability, and I've done so, and we've had miraculous benefits from it. Some people say that it's very subtle, and people that are like heavy hitters of alcohol and drugs may not get the benefit they're looking for. But it's, it's got very subtle benefits and very uh, healing benefits for people like with severe gangrene. We've saved three out of three times we've helped people to avoid amputations by applying wow. the holy anointing oil and prayer, you know, into their open wounds, which has been just, just such a, a great blessing for us. So part of the recipe, in addition to the ingredients, is the prayer and intention that goes into it. It's really measurable. And what I thought was that when I send the holy anointing oil out, which I did to quite a few places around the world for many years, uh, was that people would open the bottle and, and apply it on themselves, and they would get not only the ingredients, but they'd get our prayer and our intention. So thank you for making that an important part of the panel today, because we are spiritual beings having, you know, have, having a human experience, and what a blessing it is to have cannabis, a plant, just kind of come out of the blue for each of us and, and awaken us, awaken our consciousness, open our hearts, and bring us here together in California at this moment to have a cannabis ceremony. So. All right, cannabis day. Hey. Thank you, Roger. Hey, and Roger is going to be speaking a little more at the uh, yeah. at the ceremony. And uh, we've got a few people behind you, Roger. Great. So but but thank before, you. Before we, we go, thank is you. there we'll a grinder in the house? <laughs> <laughs> hey, one last thing, Chris, if I might. And yeah, I'd like, to share, I'd like to share this with everybody. I came up with a blessing for the THC ministry, which I like to use, and help me get through prison. I was denied bail eight times, denied a trial, denied visitors, denied media contact. And I like to say, no matter what, God, that's great. Please show us the blessings in oh, this situation <laughs> and hurry. Okay. We are yeah, safe, we are nice. loved, got, and nice. all is well. All right. All right. Kind of Thank you, Roger. Hi, how, you doing? how you doing? Good, good. Now, here we have, uh, I, you have to introduce yourself. Hi, thanks. Thanks, Chris. John oh, Lee. Oh, John. I recognize Hi, you. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi, everybody. Uh, just a minute just to thank everybody. I think, I hope everybody in the room appreciates everybody on the panel and, and Chris and Omar and, and everybody that I know, fortunate to know. And a couple things that came out, the spiritual, the spiritual concept here, again, it's become very commercial, as we know. So 
maintaining this thought process. This is as important a session, I think, as we continue to have here. And then uh, a quick shout out to my second home now in Mendocino with Swami and others there. It's a wonderful spiritual environment, so I'm happy to be involved in there. And Omar needs some consulting from you next week sometime too. But uh, the, the other issue that's very important is Omar mentioned initiatives, and I have a little familiarity with that through the years, but it's very important. If we want to affect change, we have to, do, we have to work with the process that's given to us. And it's changed a little bit in California, but individuals can produce change. You can initiate an initiative, whether it's related to religious freedom or other freedoms. I encourage people to get involved. And you saw the numbers. They can be a little scary to do it, but it, it is something that we have to do as people. We're voters, as we all know, too, but we have to get people involved. And that means all the way at the grassroots level and the local community levels and also promote leadership all the way up. So support all the efforts, support. Thank you all for, for what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Thank, Thank you, John. Yeah. And actually, I think from what Omar said, we might ask the legislative analysts to write something up and then maybe try to get a legislator to, to put it in through the legislation instead of going through the... Uh... That would save a lot of money. <laughs> it's a lot cheaper than, uh, than doing an initiative drive, as you know, John. Yes, please. Is that uh, Mitchell? Yes, it okay. is Mitchell. Hi, Mitchell. Hey, namaste, Chris. Um, so my question uh, relates to a couple different themes that came out of this. Uh, a lot of people have talked about the commercialization of this industry. Um, as a result of commercialization, we've seen the industry largely go away from joints and smoking flour to using vape devices. Um, I don't know about everyone else's experience, but I'm increasingly in those situations where I'm in a smoke circle and everyone pulls out their own device rather than passing a joint the way we have for all of human history. Right. Uh, Swami mentioned, if I got it right, uh, the act of passing the joint is our sharing of consciousness. What are your thoughts on this rising commercialization, this you know, increase in individuality, and loss of that connectedness we used to have in passing the joint? Well, I'll, I will first address the question about uh, passing the joint through the circle, what we do in the economist day circles, as we find that some people like to use a vape pen or, or may actually feel like smoking at that moment. What we have a person do is if you hold it in your hand and you take an inhalation, uh, and then you pass it on with the economist state that that counts because actually I think under federal law you're still sharing marijuana and so you're still breaking the same laws as if you actually inhaled it. Uh, but also we do <laughs> recognize that not everybody uh, likes to inhale on it. But the thing that we want to do is the sharing and the passing of the joint and the taking the breath in between. Inhale and pass it on. Somebody, uh, you want to address this question we have about uh, three minutes left? Um, well. Could you just tell me again the question because I was paying attention to what you just said. Well, the question was uh, about uh, the idea of sharing joints versus this, where people buy their own marijuana, right. get their oh, own oh, vaporizers, yeah, right, right. smoke at okay, home. Okay, well, you Don't know what? The responsibility is ours to carry the spirit forward, really. And we have to be like a, a, a beneficial virus, which there are such, a beneficial microbe into the mind of that whole thing that wants to change and, and be something else. We have that in us, and we've been you know, on that fringe for a long time, and that's what's kept us together. We just carry our vibe and our friends and keep, keep it together that way. And uh, I want to say, Mike, uh, Granddaddy and Mike had said to me something before about how not only that, how are all those senior citizens who've been growing up in the mountains and are the true pioneers and the true rebels and the true developers of all of these wonderful medicines and all of these wonderful cultivars that are you know, bringing CBD back, et cetera, et cetera. How are those folks going to survive in this thing? And we have to somehow take care of them as ourselves. How do we get them some support? Those are people who have been doing this for so long, they don't know how to do anything else. They put their life savings into that work. 
So what we have to do is, you know, as the Dalai Lama says, you know, we have to be thankful to our opponents. They teach us compassion. The way is through the heart. The way is through the love. We, you know, we have to love Lori Ajax. We have to love all of those people up those higher levels to say that they are humans, they have their problems, they have their issues, and we have to love everyone along the way. Hey, I can say this all day long up here, but actually to try and do it, that's the practice. And the best way to do it, get stoned before you go to the office. Anyway. With a joint, not a vape. <laughs> Namaste. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.